to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. Good morning, church. So we're actually going to give feedback of our recent trip to Iran. It wasn't a mission trip originally, but God ended up using it as a mission trip. So, and as part of our feedback this morning, we actually our fourth member is actually at conversion. So he's gonna do house of prayer this morning electronically. So we've got two videos, and then we're just gonna pray for the nation of Iran. Okay, thanks, guys. Today, Iran is an Islamic republic that is ruled by a Muslim clergy and under one supreme leader. And although many of the people in the country oppose this regime, they still remain firmly in power. Iran is also a major regional power in the Middle East, and they have vast reserves of oil and gas. But since the Iranian revolution, there has been serious and ongoing tensions with the West, and the crippling sanctions on Iran were only lifted in the beginning of this year. The country has a diverse and a multi-ethnic population of 80 million people. But with the government's focus on expanding 12 Islam in the Middle East, the somewhat 450,000 Christians, as well as other minority groups, face severe pressure, with Christianity being seen as a condemnable Western influence. Please join me as we pray for Iran and pray that the Christians there, the believers, will be able to remain strong under all the persecution that they are facing. And pray the Lord of the harvest, that he would send laborers in this harvest, because we found that the harvest in Iran truly is ready, and believers are needed to share the good news with the people of Iran. And lastly, please pray for the supreme leader, Khamenei. Pray that God would reveal himself to him and change his heart. I want to quickly give you some background, some context about Iran. Iran is a country with an ancient history going back to the Elamite kingdom in 3200 before Christ. It's also a place that we read quite a lot about in the Old Testament, like the Assyrians who conquered it, and Darius and the Medes who were the first to unite that geographical area, and Cyrus the Great, who was the one who released the Jews from their captivity and allowed them to return to Jerusalem. If we jump forward a few hundred years, the Arabs conquered Iran in 633 AD and introduced Sunni Islam as the dominant religion. However, this was later replaced in the 1500s by 12 Shia Islam, which is still the major and official religion of Iran today. In modern times, in the 20th century, was a very turbulent and sometimes violent time for Iran as it went through two revolutions and one coup in which the king, or the Shah as he's known in Iran, with the assistance of the United States and of Britain, overthrew the prime minister as Iran went from being an absolute monarchy to being a constitutional monarchy and eventually Islamic Republic after the Iranian Revolution in 1987. Okay, so um, as I said, the, the, the purpose of this morning is to give feedback of our holiday to Iran. Um, and 
I just want to stress, it's not, it's not about saying how cool the holiday was, but it's actually it's a practical application of the theme, living everywhere as though God has sent you. We've been very blessed in Iran, and this morning we're just going to share a practical application of how we allowed God to use us there, how we were ready to be used, and how God used us um, in Iran. As you can see from the video, it was completely a secular activity, um, but by us just... Um, just submitting this to God, it ended up being a, a supernatural experience. Um, so just some background um, on the climb itself. As I said, it was us three that went there, and Neil as well, he was the fourth member. And Damavan is actually, it's, um, it's considered a semi-active volcano. It's the highest mountain in Iran, and it's also the highest volcano in Asia. So it's considered as one of the, the seven volcanic summits. Also very important in Persian history. Um, and just on the climb itself, so there are two main challenges we experienced going up. Um, so the first one is the sulfur at high altitude. Um, I don't know if you noticed like the clouds as we approach the summit, but that's actually sulfur. That's actually the mountain smoking. And as many of you know, once you're above 5,000 meters, your body's actually starved of oxygen. And combine that with actually um, inhaling all these thick, um, fumes of sulfur it's, yeah, it's quite challenging um, on the video it was me that did the heavy breathing I suffered a bit more than the rest of the guys um, a second, second challenge we experienced is, was actually um, the short acclimatization period, it's actually it's the same height as Kilimanjaro but what makes this um, more challenging is that you have to summit in about half the time and you need, you need to acclimatize gradually, otherwise you pick up uh, mountain sickness. And one of our members actually got mountain sickness on the first day. Um, but I'll share a bit more about this um, just in a few slides. You can go to the next slide, thanks. Okay, so, so what I said here is I called the slide God of the Mountain, a spiritual history of mountaineering. So a question you hear often is, so why do you climb? So personally for me, it is, it's of course the physical challenge, um, but it's also a spiritual experience um, connotated with it. And actually if we look all through the Bible, there's um, one thing I've realized is that God actually likes mountains as well. Um, he often spoke to his, his prophets and his people on mountains. If we look at the life of Moses, many times he called him up to the mountain and gave him a message for his nation. He, even with the, with the Ten Commandments, he gave it to him on a mountain. So it's, it's something very significant that God shares when you're on a mountain. Um, also the same with Elijah. And also something I only realized this recently is, is that it was part of Jesus' life as well. And we see Jesus' love for the mountains in his life. Um, we see how, how Jesus excluded himself, isolated himself from everyone, and went to go spend time in prayer on a mountain. Also very interesting is that when Jesus chose his 12 disciples from all his followers, it was on a mountain. And something I just realized very recently is that when Jesus gave the great commission to his disciples and to the church, he was on the mountain. So this is the last great command he left the church with, and that is to make disciples of all nations and people, baptizing them and teaching them to obey what Jesus has said. I can just imagine that Jesus called up his disciples and they were sitting in this, in this environment where they could see the horizons going um, everywhere and just see the little, little towns for them visually to understand that they are called to go make disciples of those towns. Um, 
And also very interesting is, is also the, if you look in the Alps, the earliest mountaineers, it actually started with the saints. They also went up to the mountains to spend time with God, not for recreation, but for prayer, and also often to, to escape persecution. Um, even today, if you go, go climb in the Alps, on many of the prominent peaks, you still see the crosses that the guys planted there. Um, and also something I just want to mention is uh, more locally is, I don't know, have any of, who of you have been on Northcliffe Hill? Uh, so a lot of you. So it's really, it's one of those hidden gems in Johannesburg is if you go up there, you, you literally get a view of the whole of Johannesburg, old CBD. It's, it's like God is, is laying down a map before you. And most of our um, outreaches, we actually start on the mountain and we pray for the people. And you can literally see the areas that you're going into next. Um, and we experienced this when we went to Jerusalem as well. On the Mount of Olives, where Christ prayed for Jerusalem, you also get this bird's eye view of the city. Um, and as I said, for me, it's a physical challenge and a spiritual experience. Uh, you can go to the next slide. I just want to read, this is a cool book. Um, it's a secular author, but he wrote a book about um, Elijah's life. And I just, uh, I really love this quote in the book. And he said, The Lord often has his prophets climb mountains to converse with him. I always wondered why he did that. And now I know the answer. When we are on high, we can see everything else as small. Our glory and our sadness lose their importance. Whatever we conquer or lost remains there below. From the heights of the mountain, you see how large the world is and how wide its horizons. And the, the main focus of the, the um, message this morning is the harvest field. But I also just want to share my, my own prophetic experience I had in this whole experience as um, the first bullet point I said there, the health and the promise. So, so this year, earlier this year, I really struggled with my health. And actually the month before um, we went, which is your most important training month, I was sick the whole time. I literally couldn't do anything. And I remember one morning being very worried about this because it's, it's quite a dangerous pursuit going up on a mountain, not being in shape, and actually even more dangerous if you have a cold. Um, while I was in Kazbek just two weeks before this, one of our South African athletes passed away on Kilimanjaro. And he just struggled, I think, with a common cold. And me stressing about this, I remember one morning laying in my bed, and I just opened my um, Afrikaans Bible, which I, I usually read English. But it just opened, and, and it's, it's, I'm not exaggerating, but literally the sun through the window fell on this one piece of scripture, and it said, I think it was Exodus 19, it says, And Moses went up to the mountain to meet with God. And personally for me, as a Christian, we know when God speaks to us through a promise. And this is a promise I just held on to. Um, luckily, I spent a, a bit more time there. And a week before we left, I was healthy again. And I could use the first mountain to, to get in shape. Um, I wouldn't recommend it. But I ended up summiting two of the subsequent um, volcanic summits, which included this. Um, a second story is another prophetic experience I had. Is, is, and this was more significant for the climb, which you just saw. Um, and I don't know if you've noticed that, but there were only three guys on the summit. And on the way, driving in the car from Tehran to, to the mountain, I was, just, I was just sleeping in the car, just resting. Um, and suddenly I saw this prophetic picture. I saw this picture of three guys standing on the summit looking at a GPS watch. And I didn't want to share it with the rest of the guys or discourage them. I didn't know who the unfortunate fourth person was. Um, but I just I kept this in my heart. And... And so what happened is, with, as I mentioned, the title climatization program, on, on our first day, one of the toughest guys in our group, um, which was much more fit than I was, um, Steph picked up mountain sickness on the first day. Um, 
started losing his balance, severe headaches. Um, I think his personality was affected a bit as well. Um, and there was a moment where we, uh, where we just saw Steph just patting a donkey. Um, and, and we said, um, and what I'm saying, this is completely unbiblical, but we say this, that's where he, he discovered his spirit animal is a donkey. Uh, after I told that to him, he said, actually the week before he left, he, he did an offering message on a donkey. So that's um, confirmation. And on the second day, what happened is you, you have a climatization hike. So we woke up early. We climbed up to the, I think it's about 4-4, four, four, and Steph looked really strong. But on the way down, Steph, the, the um, symptoms started kicking again. I remember one of the other guys, and I, I just said guides. I just think they, they know how to identify the, the symptoms of altitude sickness. And he, he, he looked at Steph and he just told me, uh, without Steph hearing that, he, don't think, he doesn't think that guy's going to make it to the top. So, so the, the symptoms started getting worse and worse during the night. Um, and that, that the night before our summit, I was actually I was awake last, and I could hear Steph breathing. And from his breathing, I, I realized this guy is in a lot of trouble. And so we started the next morning, all four of us. And at the last point at which a person can safely turn around was, again, 4-4. Four, four, four. And that's where Steph had to make the decision to push on or to turn back. And those of you know Steph that is mentally and physically very tough. And for him to, to quit is a very difficult decision. But in this sport, you have to be responsible. And, and when Steph had to make the decision to turn around, I could actually encourage him to make that decision knowing that it was the right decision for him. So um, that, that afternoon we summited, came down, and when we came back to the, to the high camp, um, we actually saw that Steph's condition had deteriorated significantly. And we were already exhausted, but we realized we needed to get this guy off the mountain because um, it is altitude sickness is a life-threatening thing. If you don't get somebody down, they could actually um, pass away. That's actually one of the biggest um, causes of mortality on a mountain. And it's so silly because if you can get somebody down, they, they're safe and sound. Um, and you can go to the, to the next one. Okay, so, so we're just going to share a few testimonies of how we allowed God, God to use us on the mountain. Um, like Steph actually used the words, um, you can go to the next slide, is he actually used the words, he said that God knows how to hit a straight shot with a, um, with a crumb stock. Um, that's a golfing terminology. So even if the stick's a bit not 100%, God can still fulfill his purpose. And uh, we're really, uh, we're four, four ordinary guys. We were just willing, with a passion for the lost, to be used by God. And if you look at this picture, so it's us four in the middle, and our guide's on the left, um, and the tour organizer is on the right. And throughout the thing, though we were, we're focused on getting to the top, we, we, did, we decided not to compromise in the way we lived. We prayed with our Muslim brothers before every meal. Uh, and something amazing that happened is... On the summit, as um, I got the other two guys together to just pray and thank God, our God actually joined us and he said, and he asked if we could pray for his, his mother that's sick. And I can't explain to you how much peace I just experienced in that, in that very moment. Um, you can go to the next. And um, Ruth's just going to share one of the, um, some of the divine appointments we actually had while waiting in, in the high camp. Uh. T.S. Eliot said that it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. And I think in, in the Western world, we've lost a lot of that. We're so, we so instant gratification focused that 
we forget the journey and the, going up a mountain really just reminds you of that again. It's every step. If you go to three and a half, four thousand, five thousand meters, it doesn't matter if you summit. It's great to summit, but we spend probably 14 hours on summer day hiking and half an hour at the, t at the summit. So you need to enjoy the journey. And that is, that is what sanctification is in the Christian life. It's the journey. It's not the end. You can go to the next slide. So on the hike camp, this is what the dining hall looks like. So everybody, there's a lot of people there, different nations, mostly Iranian. And on the walls, if you look closely, if you can go to the next slide, you will see there at the back walls, there's actually memorials of the people that went up the mountain and then make it back down. And in the corner, you can't see there, but there would be Muslim guys praying their daily prayers in the corners there. And we were sitting there in the dining hall waiting for our guide Amir to prepare dinner for us. We were just chatting away. And this Iranian mountain guide, his son, came to us and he asked, no, can he sit with us? And he said, he experienced this, what he called an energy from us. And I can promise you it wasn't our energy. Because at 4,200 meters, you sound like Herman on the video if you just go to the bathroom. <laughs> and him, he came to sit with us and his client was uh, Bert, who's a guy that works in the European Parliament. And they sat with us and we just chatted about our love for mountains and our love for travel and all our experiences. And then in a specific moment, the Holy Spirit just came in, into that conversation. And at that, at that stage, Stephen Neal was talking to his son and Herman and I was talking to Bert. And we just got the opportunity to start sharing the gospel with them. And we just planted the seed. Um, you can go to the next slide. Um, they, there's the three of them. Sam is the guy with the orange hat, and Bert is the guy in the middle on the top left-hand picture. And we just shared the gospel with them. We just had a great meal together, and they were to summit the next day on our acclimatization day. And they went up, and when they came back down, um, Bert just, this guy just looked shocked, and he just said, I can't tell you what happened on the mountain today. And we were like, okay. And later that evening, him and his son came in. You can go to the next slide. That's what a guy looks like that's suffering severe altitude sickness. Um, they climbed up. He, he should have actually turned around, and he didn't. His son pushed him all the way to the top. The third member of their team turned around. He came back down. As they were on the summit, they were caught in an electrical storm. His son actually saw... Um, the electrical cloud formed above his head, ab above Bird's head, and he, he sort of tackled him off the summit. They rolled down into sulfur clouds, and they made that whole experience, and they came back down. But for me, it was really also God just showing his power to them. Like, we spoke about God. He could have died. It, if it was a split second later, th that electrical charge probably would have killed him. But God just showed him his power in that moment. And what's really amazing is that we just need to do everything that we do unto the Lord. Whether you're having dinner, whether you're going out with friends, everything. Just do it unto the Lord. God will work through you and he will speak into people's lives. 
Fantastic. Um, right, you can move on. Um, you know, what, a, what an amazing privilege to go on a trip like this. Um, you know, in the beginning, I thought, you know, we're just going on a vacation, you know. Um, a couple of adventurers, a couple of guys are keen, you know, I think they've got the minerals and we're going we're gonna to climb a mountain. And it was actually Hadman's idea, this whole thing, and I've never done something like this before. But, you know, it really, it really spoke to me for many of the reasons that he's actually spoken about. We're very privileged, obviously, to be able to go. But, you know, before we went, and I think I just want to iterate what he said, um, I, I don't think any of us had the major, the major thrust of it or the major motive of it was, it was an outreach to Iran. That was not really why we were going. We were planning an epic adventure to a far-flung destination because, you know, um, since life in Joburg isn't stressful enough, we felt that climbing a volcano in the Middle East would, you know, help us get, get the kick we needed. Uh, clearly, I got it up the backside, but anyway, it, it was still great. So, you know, but we were just overwhelmed at the amount of people that we were able to share the gospel with. We've, we've mentioned one or two, um, but we were inundated with opportunities throughout this trip to share the good news with people, uh, blissfully ignorant to the realities of, you know, what could actually have happened to us and to those who we actually shared with, and we'll maybe elaborate on that a little bit later. But I just like to touch base on, you know, uh, one of um, the uh, individuals that we managed to uh, speak to when we were down in the valley again in a little town called Isfahan, um, which is more to the south uh, east of the country, and um, uh, whose name was Miriam. And, um, you know, I think it's important that we talk about in Neil's absence, you know, his, you know Neil's uh, women's ministry he's doing on the sly. Okay, we just bring it out in the open. But Neil has got a remarkable women's ministry. Hey? I've, never, I've never experienced anything like that, but it's a formidable force. And as you've seen in the video, you know, it does help a lot. You know, in South Africa, there are many blonde people and so. Um, so we Westerners, there are many, you know, many of these types of people around, you know. Um, generally being envious of people with hair, I, you know, have to emphasize the point. But... What we find, um, and this is probably why Neil enjoys traveling so much, is the fact that the Middle East, and specifically those areas, have a fascination with blonde people, like really hectically. So you saw him in the video. He's a very attractive bloke. And, you know, wherever we went, we would, you know, th- 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 women would literally throw themselves at him. You know, it was a, it's a bit like that. It felt, it felt like that. Um, uh, we always felt a bit like, you know, jo- uh, Joseph and selling him to, to, to Egypt and things like that. We got a bit jealous at a, at a stage. But all j- jokes aside, you know, we, we were fo- very fortunate through having a wonderful gift like Neil, who is firstly a very skilled Bible teacher himself, and, um, but he's got a remarkable uh, networking skills as well. And we did a lot of um, couch surfing uh, connections and, you know, managed to talk to a lot of people. So Miriam, just to touch base on her, we could really share with Miriam um, a lot because she was actually a lecturer at the local university in English. So she had a good command of the language and we could really explain deep, uh, difficult uh, conversations um, and and points with her, uh, which Neil did, you know, in great depth. 
and they could then dovetail off the rest of the team in terms of the strengths of the rest of the team and, how, and, and bringing in different components to just minister to her and just to share the word of God. So we really gave a no, no holes barred account of the gospel. We were, managed to um, leave a Bible there for her with you know, some John Bevere or John Sevier um, you know, uh, 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 books and so on. But the most important thing that we took out of that session with her and we spent two days was the fact that after we spent all this time sharing the gospel and sharing all of these very important deep spiritual things, the thing that really struck her was your personal testimony and was your life, the way you live Christianity. And naturally, it came to the, not, the, the very controversial, difficult topic of why you guys are still single. Okay? And that, and that was, that was as it, it's something that we've, we've all experienced to a great extent, the, the mystery of singleness. God knows. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but, and then, onto the very, very uncomfortable topic, okay, but what about sexuality? How do you guys cope with this type of thing, you know? Um, and then we had to say to her, God expects us to walk, the, to toe the line. We are, God expects us to live a holy life, and we don't sleep around, we don't indulge in sexual immorality, um, we walk in accountability, and we're waiting for that special lady. Um, and that really struck her, because obviously women have no rights in, in Iran, which is kind of uh, quite, no, I won't make a joke at their expense, um, but that was actually a very important theme. Um, and it really, you could really see that struck her and say, but these guys are paying a cost for what they, what they believe in. They actually believe in it. It's not just on the outside, which is unfortunately much of what they've experienced. So if you can just jot to the next, next slide. Really, I'd like to just run through these things and ask, just, just to really motivate you today, just to say, listen, hold on a second. You, don't, you, you need to understand what you are, first of all. For. You are a temple. We are in a house of, this isn't the house of God. You are the house of God. Jesus talked about the temple, him being a temple and raising the temple. Uh, Paul talked about it. Temple isn't a building, it's the person. Okay, it's that legend over there. Look at Rudy. What a boykey, eh? Yes. Anyway, so the point is God lives in people. Next slide for me. So wherever he, you go, he goes. Okay? Wherever you go, he goes. Next slide. Um, that's a beautiful picture of Isfahan, but you can see... The scriptures, Matthew talks about, you are the light of the world. Jesus says, you are the light of the world, okay? So God lives inside of you. He is the father of lights, and you are therefore the light of the world. So wherever we go, we should let our light shine before men. So it may, so it may see your good works, ne? bad works, ne? And glorify your father in heaven. Next slide, please. Right, so that's um, Miriam in the left there. Um, and here we are basically sharing uh, with her under that bridge. Um, and just to emphasize again that you are God's vehicle, you know. You are, the, you are the message in many ways. Not so much you are the message, but the message in you as you go. Um, you know, people don't come to temples anymore. The temples go to them. All right. Um, next slide. So just in conclusion, I just want us to emphasize the whole missional living concept. And how, do I, how does one do this? You know, it's really just a question of being. You know, being, abiding in the vine. You are going to bear fruit. Don't try to bear fruit. Don't try to, you know, I must now go and do this. Obviously, you must be motivated. Don't be passive. But um, connect with the Lord. Walk, in, walk with Jesus. Be plugged into the vine. 
and then his life will flow through you, you know. You are a temple, you will bring light, and you are his vehicle. And just as you go through life, now we've had a wonderful opportunity to go to India, uh, um, uh, as, as, as some of the guys as well, uh, the, you know, last year. So we were fairly, um, you know, we had a bit of a feeling about how this, this thing kind of works. But there are many opportunities to upskill yourself, to prepare yourself, so that this thing is not so intimidating. Because tomorrow you're going to your, to your, to your, to your business and, uh, or wherever you work, and that is going to be, you know, a place where you are also basically doing a mission. It's not like you have to get on, go to some exotic destination once a year um, with a shofar-sanctioned mission to India or Pakistan. Okay, that's great, and that's wonderful, and go on these things, you will be prepared. But what's important is that you understand that you are on a mission. You are not from this world. You're on your way to Jesus. You're on your way to your, 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 uh, your home in heaven. So every day is a mission for you. And that's, the, that's really what I believe God is saying to us today, is that every day is a mission for you. And to have just that perspective, it's more, more like a mind shift, a paradigm shift. Excuse the pun, because it's not really excused, actually. It was meant, meant to say that. So first prepare yourself, okay? Prepare yourself. Be ready, as the word says, to um, give a, a, a reason for the hope that is with, within you. Um, and then... You know, do Bible school, do the encounter series, go on a mission, you know, that's, you know, typically more intensive. Um, and then, but then also execute, you know, work with your, with, work with your friends. You don't have to do some solo effort. Um, you can have, you can just be intentional in the way that you live your, your daily life, whether you go mountain biking or cycling or playing chess or katan or whatever, you know, there are, people have, you know, connections out there that you can, you can connect with people on their level, but see that almost as an outreach thing. Pray. Pray is very important. Um, prepare. Be intentional when you get in the morning. Say, Lord, I desire to have you know, a, a meeting with you today, and I desire to have an opportunity to share the gospel. Grant me divine appointments. God will send you somebody. Um, and discipleship. Don't be intimidated. If this, is a, this is a major issue for us. We struggle with this stuff. This, we're afraid to share the gospel. A wonderful way to do that is to do discipleship. Is to say, listen, don't you want to go on this journey with me with the purple book or the, or the Jesus, walking with Jesus book or something like that. It's a, it's a way to get into a person's life to, to actually share the gospel through a discipleship um, uh, methodology. And obviously, paradigm shift or go Josie, very specifically, are wonderful tools for you to, sh- to slot in to get access to people um, and to start walking with them. So um, I would like it just to, just to say, use the tools that this church has to, at your disposal to equip yourself on the one hand and to live out a missional living lifestyle on the other hand. Okay. Okay. Um, thanks, guys. Okay, can go to the next slide. Okay, so um, that picture I've included there, that's uh, Mount Kailash in Tibet. I think it's, it's one of the, my favorite mounts. It's just, a, it's just aesthetically beautiful. And, and this is actually um, considered a holy mountain. This is, this is a place where three Eastern religions actually worship God. And it was very interesting, all these religions, um, and it's also, I just want to mention that it's, it's what you call a virgin peak. So no mountaineer has been up that mountain. And the reason for this is that all the, all the religions there, they believe that, yes, this is a holy mountain, it's a holy God, and sinful people 
can't go into God's presence. Actually, if you go to Tibet, is, and if you circumnavigate uh, Mount Kalash, it's about, I think, 60 kilometers. So a fit hiker would be able to do it in three, four days. But a lot of these pilgrims, they walk many kilometers to this mountain. And once they get to the mountain, what, they, what a lot of the Tibetan um, um, guys do is actually they've got this, this, this prayer um, action where they literally they go on their knees, they prostrate themselves, with the, they stretch out as they lay on the ground, they make a mark of their hands, and then they move their feet to, to that mark. And they repeat this process. And some of these pilgrims do that for the 60 kilometers around that mountain. It literally takes them weeks, if not months, to complete this. And the thing is, why I mention that is that similar to these religions, we also believe that God is a holy God, and that as sinful people, we cannot enter into God's presence. But what we believe is that God actually made a way for us to be reconciled to God. And where we also differ is that we believe that we can't do enough to please God, and that God, God came down from heaven, or from the mountain, if you will, and he came to us in the form of Christ to die on the cross for us, to forgive our sins, um, and to reconcile us to God, and to save as many people as possible. And, and a very important thing is, and, and that's the main point we want to make this morning, is that we don't have to go to, to, to the mountain to, have, to experience God. We actually experience God now in the harvest field. That is where he is. And in the same way, when, when God looks at Johannesburg, say this, this eagle's view. He, he is more concerned about what's happening in the harvest field than what's actually happening in the church services. Um, scripture says, uh, it's been a while since I've read this, I hope I have the numbers right, but it says that the angels rejoice more about one person coming to salvation than the hundred um, believers that's already saved. That's just God's art. And what's also very interesting, as I thought about this, is that that. Christ associates more with himself as the Lord of the harvest than the Lord of the church. Yes, he is head of the church, but his focus is on the harvest. The Lord of the harvest, and that's the, that's the lost. That's the people who, who don't know God. And, and um, also, just before I go on, is, is, and I might offend a few of you here, but there is very, something very wrong with the church in Johannesburg. If we can mobilize 20,000 guys to go, born-again Christians, to go worship God at a worship event with some American band, but on a Saturday we've got four or five guys in the harvest field. And yes, I know God blesses the worship events and he loves it if we worship, worship him. But as Christians, we have to go past the point of, of just having worship experiences and actually go out these doors and go to the lost and go to the harvest field. And I know this is a hard word, but at the end of the day, if you believe in the gospel, we believe that without Christ, people are damned to eternal suffering, to eternal damnation, suffering without hope. Um, and a, another picture I'm just thinking of is, is in mountaineering, you get what you call summit fever. And it's as soon as God, no matter what the conditions are or their own personal state, when they see the summit there, they would literally risk the whole lives, forget about everything, forget about the wife and the three the kids at home, and risk their lives to get to the top and to get down. And why I'm, why I'm referring to that is there was a famous evangelist, and he said if he has 33-0 sold-out Christians sold out for the harvest, he would, literally, he would literally change his city. And this morning we are 60, 60 Christians who I know 
love God. But the invitation I'm laying before you this morning is that think about committing your life to the harvest field. And there is a cost. It, it means, um, like Steph, sacrificing your mornings, discipling guys, sacrificing your weekends um, to go out to the needy, to the poor, to the guys in prison. Um, and just something very interesting, I just, um, I just want to share this as well. Like on Friday morning, one of our students, he, at 4 a.m., he woke up with a dream. And coincidentally, in the dream, he was climbing a mountain. So he didn't know we were going to preach about this. And last night, he shared it with the leaders, and he asked for interpretation. And, and in this dream, he was climbing the mountain with his, his dog or his puppy. And he sat somewhere, and he felt he should, he should go up higher. And, and what's interesting in this dream, he realized this, this, this doggy was very willing and obedient to go up with him. And as he went up, he saw a lot of birds in the air. And he also, at, at first, he thought this, it was a cloud that he saw. But um, when, he, uh, when he looked closer, it was actually stars. And, and I just want to read the scripture out of the Old Testament. And that's something I get very excited about, is seeing the concept of soul winning coming through in the Old Testament. And, and this is Daniel. It's, the context is it's, uh, it's an end-time vision for his people. There's basically three major end-time prophecies in Scripture. The first one is Daniel's where you speak about the end-time and the Jewish experience in the end-time. The second one is Jesus speaking also about the, the end-time. And the third end-time prophecy is John's prophecy in the book of Revelation. And in the context of this, and Daniel didn't have, um, he was focused on his nation and serving God. He didn't have a clue about um, God's evangelism plan for the world. And just listen to this, um, this wonderful scripture. And he says, um, it's Daniel 12, verse 2 to 3. It says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And guys, one day in heaven, the, 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 and mind the pun, is the superstars aren't going to be the guys who made a historical difference in the country, even for the good, or the guys who were very successful, or the guys who broke world records. The, the Christian superstars are going to be those guys who've committed their lives to bringing the lost into the kingdom. And having that mindset, almost that, not summit fever, but um, soul fever. Like almost being reckless in pursuing the lost. But it has a cost. But if we're willing to pay this, this price, this church can, can double every year. But there is a cost we need to, to count. And, and just as I, as I um, close off this morning... Um, the last thing I just want to say is that, that um, this is a quote that actually, I, I read this book after, um, just after I went to Bible school and just before I studied it, it's Charles Spurgeon's Soul Winner. Very difficult English, but after persevering through that book, it, it actually changed my thinking. And in that book he says, the most noble thing a Christian can commit his life to, whether in full-time ministry or in business or in politics, and he, he named a few other things, was becoming a soul winner. Like those of us, uh, those of you who know us, like all four of us, we're actually, we're, we're just ordinary business guys. Um, like Rudy spoke about the sanctification process. Um, if you know us, we still need to, still have a, a long way to, to be the people that God has called us to be. But one thing we have in common is that we have a heart for the lost. And, and this morning is, I also just, I want to give an invitation for those who, who are willing to commit their lives to the Lord of the harvest, and to serving in the harvest field. 
Um, I just want to, as we close off now, just just want to give you opportunity to come to the front, and we're just we're just going to anoint you. There is something in publicly uh, making a commitment before other people, and what this commitment entails is that that you're saying to God, God, I'm making your harvest priority over my life. And, and again, the cost is often it's easy to offend people once you start talking about the cost. But the cost isn't just leaving a, behind the bad things like like drug addictions and and Bible, but it's often just it's prioritizing the kingdom over your family, um, over your hobbies, over those, those things that keep you in shape, over, over your, your studies, your career. And, and that's the cost we, we need to... We, and it's not, none of those things are bad. Like, as you can see, we, we love adventure. But seeking the God, kingdom first just means putting, putting the kingdom first and fitting the rest of the things into it.